Okay. It's happening. Recording. <laughs> We're doing it. Also, just um I have an assistant today, um, Harold, who is asleep but may sigh deeply occasionally on the recording. <laughs> I think that's actually like given the subject matter, there will be moments where like a sigh is actually really appropriate. So we'll see if you can time it right. <laughs> All right. Well, Alice, today we are here to talk about disclosure, which is a documentary on Netflix, um, as well as other representations of trans people in the media. Um, you knew that we, we would have feelings about J.K. Rowling. Yeah. Church nonsense, so we'll also briefly talk about that. <laughs> yeah, briefly. We're going to try to keep it briefly. <laughs> no, yeah, no promises that it will, in fact, be brief, but... <laughs> Um, but I like that we're starting and hopefully like a lot of this will center around disclosure because it really is an amazing documentary that I recommend all of you check out. Um, Kelly, I think you were one of the first people that recommended to me. I also had a, a lot of other friends um, and it's just a really powerful piece. Um, do you want to give a little bit of context on it? Yeah, sure. So Disclosure is a um, documentary put out by Laverne Cox on Netflix and Basically, it's like giving you a history of um, how transgender people have been um, depicted in Hollywood. Like, and it starts, it's like a pretty impressive uh, cataloging yeah. um, of all of the different like transgender characters in film. Um, like literally going all the way back to like the early uh, 1900s. Um, 1914 with a movie done by W or by D.W. Griffith, who's the guy who did Birth of a Nation. So you can just imagine how his depiction of trans people and gender nonconforming people was, spoiler, really atrocious. <laughs> right. Um, truly. Um, but yeah, um, so um, for those who might not know, Laverne Cox, um, became famous because she was on Orange is the New Black, which is also, like, a Netflix show, um, and, um, I think it was just kind of an attempt to, you know, show the sort of, like, warped way that we've often depicted trans people in film and TV, um, you know, throughout the last century plus, um, and, uh, they actually talk about early on in the film um, that there was a study done by GLAD that um, said that 84% of Americans don't personally know somebody who is transgender. Um, so the argument is sort of like, that's why it's so important, um, you know, that we get depictions of trans people in media correct, because for a lot of people, that's the only way that they you know, air quotes know somebody who is trans or you know like that's that's how they're forming an opinion um no absolutely and there's another component to that stat which is when you think about it someone who is growing up trans is unlikely to know another trans person so the representation is especially important for trans people who are just starting to understand themselves dealing with the world just going through really difficult things and to have any sort of representation is important, but it's especially important that it be good representation and accurate representation. Um, and so the director, Sam Fetter had, has said that it was, um, 
it was that they made disclosure to embolden and empower trans people um, by teaching them kind of the history of trans um, uh, trans representation, teaching uh, and discussing how to love things and love them critically. Because oftentimes, especially in the last hundred years of trans representation, as I said, one, it's few and far between that you get any sort of trans representation. And two, historically, a lot of the trans representation has been problematic. Right. So there's a component of not only talking about the history of trans representation, but also doing a deep dive and like starting to think through like what the takeaways can be, what what you want to keep from a representation, what, what you don't want to keep. Um, and then what's also really powerful about the... Uh, documentary itself is it's a, it in and of itself is also a form of representation because yeah. it takes voices from so many trans actors, writers, producers, talking about their own experiences as trans people and as like viewers of trans stories. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's sorry, I, I went on a there. No, 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 I think it was great. And that's like exactly... So just to to add to that a little bit, like I think you're exactly right that like that was one of the really cool things that um, they sort of talked about, you know, throughout the film, like they interviewed all of these different, you know, um, you know, people, whether they're like activists or actors or producers or whatever, like a lot of them were sort of like in Hollywood. Um, but um, and uh, as they're doing those interviews, those people talk a lot about you know, like you said, like they, you know, they were a trans person, um, you know, or they were, you know, struggling with their gender identity. And they talk a lot about like, you know, the representation that, that they had, um, you know, and like there was one person who talked about um, like how Bugs Bunny, like, like a girl. And it's something I, I found that to be really powerful, I guess, because, you know, like, that's how, I guess, like, limited, you could say, like, some representation of trans people is that, like, that's what you had, right? It's like... Yeah, well, because it was one of the few representations, and it's interesting, because um, I think it was, like, the woman who was behind the Matrix that was talking about Bugs Bunny, but then yeah. a couple other people cited it, and it was like, wow, like, this was, like, a phenomenon that I didn't realize that, like, because Bugs was, like, not only one of the few instances of like trans representation if you view it that way but also that it was one of the more positive like Bugs Bunny wasn't played as like the butt of the joke in any way like Bugs was like completely in control yeah no I I loved that that was one um and yeah because there were definitely like less good ones where like um someone was talking about like how what is like Ace Ventura pet detective or something yeah was like their favorite movie and they were like that's so crazy to think about now because there's like apparently a really i've actually never seen that movie i don't know there's apparently a really like terrible scene in it where um like somebody finds out that they like had sex or did something with a trans person and then he like throws up and is like brushing his teeth and like doing all like that kind of bullshit it apparently goes on for like five minutes and the character is also like the villain and this was like Ace Ventura, like building on things that had been around forever. Like they spent a lot of time talking about um, a movie called The Crying Game, where that, I don't know if it was the first instance of like a cisgendered man uh, hooking up with a trans woman and then like throwing up because he just couldn't deal. But like that happened in that movie. And then all of a sudden it was like the thing. It was like in the in the code book of Hollywood movies it was like oh if there's a relationship with a trans person they won't know initially and then they'll know and then they'll like 
be like physically ill. Right. Um, yeah. So it was just Ace Ventura taking that to like the Jim Carrey conclusion of it all. And I think also like powerful because it's like the fact that like as a trans person, like you have internalized that idea so much that like that wouldn't upset you or make you not like that movie like that (laughs) like for some people yeah yeah. and for other people like it's like an actual depiction of a very real fear right that like you you will like be rejected um for like who you are very harmful but yeah i think you know to add to that though like one thing um the Lerber and Cox says um is that like it's important to talk about these these films and about these patterns and like be clear you know kind of like the history um of trans people in film because like ultimately what we need is more like and she's like saying like I'm not trying to like erase like you know, these bad depictions or say that they shouldn't, you know, exist or like we have to like modify them, but like more to understand like where it started and to argue that like the more representation we have, then the less harmful like the bad ones are to everybody, right? Like if, if you know, if Ace Ventura is one example, you know, of trans representation out of a hundred thousand, then maybe it doesn't matter as much as if it's like one out of ten where and then it's, you know. <laughs> no, totally. And well, and also like trans representation where trans people are part of the storytelling process, both yeah. as like actors, like trans uh, trans actors and actresses playing trans roles, um, and then having trans writers, trans producers, um, they they talk a little bit about the TV show um Pose by Ryan like it's like a Ryan Murphy show that looks at ballroom culture um but it like has uh like a bunch of like trans writers trans producers trans actors like at every level and so like the stories they're telling are more compelling and fleshed out and also just more real so the importance of that like not only telling more stories but telling more stories where like trans creators are at the forefront none of this like scarjo i can be a tree bullshit right well and i think you know that was something else that they sort of went into like that um you know and there have been a lot of you know like jared leto in dallas buyers club um won an oscar for playing a trans person jared leto's trans person um like eddie redmayne in um the danish girl yeah like and um you know they make the point that like and it can be argued that cis people playing trans people can actually add to violence um you know or to this notion that we were just describing of like being disgusted you know um to find out that you interacted in some way with a trans person because of like the visual um juxtaposition of like seeing them play a trans character in the film but then you see them at the award shows and in all the interviews afterwards and they look you know like they don't line up with their character right like a disconnect this feeling of like oh it was a costume the whole time yeah and at the very least it's a missed opportunity like a missed opportunity for like these often very like emotional and compelling and humanizing roles to be played by a trans actor or actress who 
then audiences can identify with. Like, I think that was one of the great things about Laverne Cox's role in Oranges of the New Black as Sophia is that like people really cared for Sophia and her journey. And so they, by extension, started to care about Laverne Cox as well. Um, Yeah, it's fascinating too, because you're, you're absolutely right that like trans stories have been basically Oscar bait since 1999, maybe with Boys Don't Cry and Hilary Swank. Like Hilary Swank, Eddie Redmayne, Felicity Huffman with Trans America, Jared Leto. Like it's become like a little bit of like a, like, oh, wow, like, you're really reaching as an actor to play this, like, trans story. And often there's a tragedy component to it, too, because so many trans characters leave, like, lead difficult lives. So there's a little bit of, like, that tragedy porn element to it where, like, you're just, like, going for the tears. Um, And I really think in the last few years, we've seen a cultural shift, right? Like, when Eddie Redmayne did The Danish Girl, that was in 2015, I believe. And there wasn't much backlash to, like, from, maybe from trans activists and trans communities, but from, like, uh, like, reading articles as a whole, I didn't really hear a lot of backlash. Like, he was allowed to, like, take the role. Jared Leto, the same thing. Recently, Scarlett Johansson was going to play uh, like a trans role, and there was a, an outcry of like, "No, like we need to stop doing this. Like we need representation." ScarJo, you're one of the like highest paid actresses in the world. Like yeah. you don't need to do this. And she was probably seeing it as an Oscar yeah. contender, right? Which is also. and that's when she gave the quote of like I can play any like man woman or tree that I want to so it's interesting to see that shift in even just a few years um and I think is it's a great thing to see that the cultural zeitgeist is becoming a little bit more informed and that like trans actors and actresses and activists have like been able to build up a little bit more of a platform still not the full platform that they deserve in order to like call attention to the fact that like yeah, it was great that like more trans stories were being told, but if we're really going to tell trans stories, we need trans people to be at the center of them. Um, especially because unfortunately in the vast majority of cases, trans actors and actresses aren't getting to play cisgendered roles. If they were, then maybe it's a different right. conversation, but they're being locked out of any other role. So yeah. Well, and I think that that's another, um, you know, point made in the documentary is that, you know, the other call for representation is that then you get more stories that aren't just about the transition, right? Like very often in these examples that we've given, you know, like the Danish girl is like literally the story of that person's transition. Like that's commonly, you know, the only part of the story that gets told. And I think that was part of what was so compelling. Like you said about Sophia on Orange is the New Black, because like that wasn't the only part of that character that we got to see developed and we got to hear about. Right. And like, it, it was part of the story, but it wasn't the whole picture. Trans people are people, so there's so much more to them in their lives than just being trans and going through a transition, right? Yeah, it, the focus is usually on the transition or on their uh, tragic death. Right. So it's like really, re- it, it's just a really reductive way to uh, talk about somebody, right? Like no matter who they are, if like the focus is always just. Like you're trans, so that's the story. Yeah. Well, that's also one of the problems that comes with focusing 
on like these really tragic or just traumatic aspects of the trans experience is that then those trans viewers are seeing this and they're being told that their transition will be traumatic and that they will die. Um, which is just really difficult to see. I did want to give a call out to Euphoria, which I just binged <laughs> for having, for doing a pretty good job, like a very good job of having a character who happens to be trans, but also that's only one component of who she is. And she's arguably the second lead on the show. Um, she's the romantic interest. Um, and yes, she's trans, but she's also a teenager figuring out what it's like to be a teenager. And some of, some of that progress of figuring out what it's like to be a teenager probably does intersect with her trans identity, but it's only one piece of the puzzle. Like there's a a lot more to her as a character and yeah, I, I really liked it. And also Zendaya does a great job. (laughs) Shout out to Zendaya. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, um, in general, if you have not watched Disclosure, definitely worth a watch. Um, feels like now I have to follow up and watch Euphoria. So I will get on that. <laughs> yeah. What What else? Anything else you want to like talk about? Um, I don't think so. I think this tragically leads us to part two of this. I know. But I think before we dive into part two, I think it's important to remember what one of the purposes of Disclosure was, which Sam Fetter, the director, said it's also, like, talking about how to love things and love them critically, which I feel like is a good thematic segue (laughs) to the world of Harry Potter. (laughs) To the trash that is J.K. Rowling. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think where we have to begin, yeah, is to say, like, uh, I mean, if you have listened to this podcast before, um, you are aware of how deeply Alice and I love Harry Potter, which is why it was both upsetting and difficult um, when J.K. Rowling recently um, not only asserted some harmful and hateful beliefs about trans people, but then felt compelled to write an entire fucking essay about it that literally no one asked her for. So like a lot of people in the Harry Potter community, so I'm just going to say that we're a part of the Harry Potter community. I think we are. I think, I think you can be part of the Harry Potter community too and still be like, what the fuck JK Rowling? <laughs> well, and I think that that's like the majority of people in the Harry Potter community are like, what the fuck? jk rowling it's just like a really disconcerting feeling to realize that the woman who in part taught you that all people have value um and that no one's life is worth more than someone else's um and that everyone deserves to be treated equally and with kindness believes that apparently except for trans people (laughs) i just want to take a step back and say for those of you who might be listening and are like wait what did jk rowling do (laughs) like i'll give some bullets one she has a history of liking transphobic tweets and sometimes it's played it off as like oh i just was taking a screenshot of something and i liked it accidentally which didn't feel great i think like i i saw some things like that and i was like i don't know <laughs> but it was like okay okay there's enough other awful stuff in the world to focus on um but then in december of 2019 she came to the defense of a woman named maya i forget what her last name is but maya had been 
not even fired, but let go from a contract for transphobic tweets. Um, And J.K. Rowling said, dress however you please, call yourself whatever you like, sleep with any consenting adult who will have you, live your best life in peace and security, but force women out of their jobs for stating that sex is real. Hashtag, I stand with Maya. Hashtag, this is not a drill. So that was the first time that I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like, and to be fair, I probably should have said what the fuck earlier, Fast forward to June of 2020. We had a lot of other fucking shit going on in June of 2020. As you all know, June of 2020 was not a good time. And this is when J.K. Rowling decided to mock a headline that talked about people who menstruate and was like, oh, didn't we used to have a term for that? Like, and yeah, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. And she like very rightfully got a lot of backlash. But luckily there were people within the Harry Potter community, including Daniel Radcliffe and a number of other actors who stood up and like stood for like trans rights. At which point JK Rowling decided to publish a very long essay full of complete trash um, that detailed five reasons she is worried about the new trans activism, her words, the new trans activism. And all five reasons were complete bullshit. I'll just briefly go through them because I think it's worth it to make sure people understand why she's wrong. The first one is that apparently um, she does like fucking um, like funds medical research for MS. Um, disease that she says behaves very differently in men and women um and while jk rowling apparently thinks that the quote new trans activism is having a significant impact on um many of the causes that she supports because she thinks that it is going to confuse that research i would argue that in fact if ms among other diseases presents very differently in men and women it is actually important that we understand trans people and how they play into that because someone presents as a man or presents as a woman like their like their biology might cause a disease like ms to behave differently in their body um so just pretending like trans people don't exist because you think it's inconvenient for ms research is not a thing well let's be clear the trans population is not large so like how many how many people does she think are going to be submitted into her study? <laughs> like statistically, that's not a thing. It's like fucking it's fake. Okay. It's not going to skew her results. Also, I think it's important as we go through to recognize in every single item she puts herself at the forefront and she is establishing who she is as a person. And she is doing that very strategically because that is her biggest selling point to her audience. It isn't any of the arguments she's making. It's the fact that she's JK Rowling and we should trust her because she's JK Rowling. So in item one, and again, item two, she talks about herself as a philanthropist and someone that gives back. I'm an ex-teacher and founder of a children's charity. Yeah. And like, I mean, I think that's exactly like, I think that you're right. And it even goes beyond that. Like all of this is very specifically about JK Rowling and her discomfort and about the rights of fucking millions of other people that are trans. No, exactly. It's just about her and her discomfort. So yeah, great. You're an ex-teacher and you are a founder of a children's charity. You should probably give a shit about trans kids then. Thanks. Yeah, no, exactly. So that's, that's item two. Item three, an oldie but a good way, freedom of speech. And she talks too about how she is an author who has had her books banned, right? So there she is positioning herself as like 
the voice, the champion of truth, no matter what. (laughs) Bullshit. Also, though, it goes further than that, right? Like, so like, and this goes back to sort of like a cancel culture thing. But like, JK Rowling, like, is a banned author. And like, maybe she is concerned about free speech. But like, I would argue that like, the fact that she was allowed to publish just like 5,000 fucking word essay on her goddamn website. Yeah, and she turned off the fucking comments. There were no comments on this. This champion of free speech who uses it as item three was too scared to have the comments be on. That's right. Like, and so if other people have the freedom of speech to disagree with you and you don't get to get salty and say that people are canceling you, you're not canceled. You're JK fucking Rowling. You're saying something, other people are saying shit back to you. That's how freedom of speech works. And if you're such an advocate of it, you should be fine with it. You got something to say, people are going to say shit back to you. That's the way it works. <laughs> yeah. Which brings us to item four. Item four, she talks about a huge explosion, her words, huge explosion of young women wanting to transition and some regretting it. Um, And also it's like, would I have transitioned? Again, putting herself at the center of, of the narrative. So one, I doubt that it's a huge explosion. But two, if it is a huge explosion and it's actually rooted in trans people living their trans lives that's not a bad thing (laughs) and two this this framing of like oh some people regret it this actual stat only one percent of trans people retransition and some of that one percent the reason that they are retransitioning is because they're not getting support from their families or because of the transphobia that they encounter literally one percent right not a huge problem well and then she goes into a whole thing about like an entire friend group becoming transgender identified which i don't know what the fuck that means but like it's like not unusual that if you were trans you would seek out other trans people i know (laughs) like that's how friends work like you like seriously especially in the age of the internet (laughs) like that makes sense also, there's this really upsetting part where she just talks about some study that shows that trans kids actually won't kill themselves. Like she talks about how like trans advocates often talk about suicide rates. And she's like, there are studies that show that they won't kill themselves when actually 44% of trans teens in the U.S. contemplate suicide. Right. 44%. Okay, J.K. Cool. Wonderful. You're great. Um, <laughs> all of this framing of like would I have transitioned just like so purely shows how she doesn't understand the trans experience and it's like she also seems to suggest that misogyny is like worse than transphobia right. <laughs> yeah that you would like choose to transition to being a man because you don't want to experience any more sexism like because of fucking transphobia that you would experience would be much better and so much less stressful. I don't want to get into the game of like whose hardships are worth are worse, but like we know that transphobia is really fucking bad, right? Yeah. Like and just like not to mention just like the physical strain of like having to go through that change and like all of the work and the f like fucking. Well, and that's the thing, the work. Like it's not something you can just do on a dime or a whim. Like there is work required into doing this. There is expense. Like there are lost relationships. She also really commonly like like maybe for that reason that she you just explained, but like she very much throughout this essay like focuses on like female to male yeah. um 
transitions, which is weird because like those are not significantly more common than male to female. No, it's about 50-50. Yeah. So like, I don't like, we're just disregarding a whole group of people like that, like not only are choosing the transphobia, but also now the misogyny of being that you experience as a woman. (laughs) Fun times. Uh, But she does not talk about those people. Um, Yeah. And she... You know, just says some really gross stuff like women is not a woman is not a costume, like which trans people aren't wearing a costume, so go fuck. Yeah. Um, and what her fifth reason um, is that she is the survivor of domestic abuse and sexual assault, and I think this is the most um, disturbing reason that she lists. Um, obviously, on a human level, like I feel very uh sympathetic for her like that's a terrible thing to have experienced and I don't wish that on anybody and I'm very sorry uh that that's something that happened to her but absolutely that is abs that is absolutely never an excuse to try to take away the rights of other people um you know because I think it's fairly safe to I I don't know but it is not explicitly said that the person that abused her or assaulted her was a trans person. So I'm not sure how she has projected that uh, vile, hateful act onto trans people. Yeah, I was I was confused by that too. I was like, did this happen in a bathroom? Like, where is this coming from? Like, there's just such a disconnect. And it's also just like, she talks about like wanting to keep like cisgendered women safe in bathrooms. There are a couple things that are wrong here. First of all, is like the basic assumption that a trans woman would want to hurt a cisgendered woman like in any place, which there's no evidence to suggest that that would be the case, right? But then two, well, what about the transgender women? Are do you think they're going to be safe? Like, uh, especially like like a transgender woman who is like fully transitioned going into like a man's bathroom. Do you think that she is going to be safe? I don't think she's going to be safe. That sounds really fucking terrifying. Also, just like statistically, like you are much more likely to be harmed by a cisgender heterosexual man than you totally. a trans person. <laughs> So trans people are much more likely statistically to experience violence themselves, like rather than commit violence against other people. So Absolutely. how about that? What about that, JK Rowling? Like, and it's just punching down at a category of people that have gone through, they already have enough that they have to deal with and navigate. They don't need JK Rowling coming yeah. in and perpetuating these really harmful stereotypes um, and it also, it's just like very reminisc- reminiscent of like all the problems with the feminist movement historically and this element of like this like zero sum game. Um, actually, there's a good quote from the Washington Post that said, it's the history of social progress. Demands for basic decency are treated as if justice is a zero sum game, as if giving you, if as if giving you more means that I get less, as if acknowledging your humanity sometimes devalues my own it is a greedy petty insecure worldview and it has hamstrung progress for centuries that's the washington post talking about jk rowling's essay yeah there's a really great meme that goes around every now and then that's like um you know like um human rights aren't pie like just because you get some doesn't mean that i get less right like that's not how it works 
Totally. So let's quickly talk about some of the harm of this, right? Like we've already talked about how um, there are 84% of people who don't personally know a trans person. And those 84% of people probably know who JK Rowling is. And there is a portion of that 84% who will take what she is saying as gospel and believe it. Um, You also have to worry about the trans readers themselves. That really fucking breaks my heart that you had people... You had people who grew up with these books and found a a story about love and acceptance and like love and accepting others being the most important thing. Um, Some of whom like really like found a home in this community. And now the author and primary creator of the community is like personally attacking them. Yeah. Which is terrible. Really fucking awful. I just wanted to go back to what you were saying about like how hurtful this is to, you know, like all trans people, but especially like if you were a trans person who was, you know, like a really big Harry Potter fan. And there's like a lot of, you know, like fan fiction and fan art and, you know, like a whole community online of people, um, you know, that use these stories to, you know, tell in part, tell their own stories and like they really identify with different characters or whatever and like this for this for her to come out and say this kind of stuff it is devastating right it kind of like crumbles your whole world and um you know I just can't imagine like how invalidated you would feel you know to like have the creator of this world that's like made you safe and like given you purpose um and identity to some extent like for her to come out and be like you suck and I don't like you and you're terrible and whatever um I can't imagine how damaging that is but that's why um, we need to use this opportunity to give a shout out to the raddest of all um, allies, Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> I think he just did, and like I'm possibly going to get cheered up if I read this out loud. So um, I apologize for that in advance, but I just wanted to read. So he um, is in a big social media guy, um, but he like wrote a statement that got. Um, published on the Trevor Project website, which I think was also a really cool move um, just because of the work that the Trevor Project does, um, you know, for the LGBTQ plus community um, and suicide prevention specifically. Um, And so he said at the end of his statement um, to all the people who now feel that their experience of the books has been tarnished or diminished, I am deeply sorry for the pain these comments have caused you. I really hope that you don't entirely lose what was valuable in these stories to you. If these books taught you that love is the strongest force in the universe capable of overcoming anything, if they taught you that strength is found in diversity and that dogmatic ideas of pureness lead to the oppression of vulnerable groups, if you believe that a particular character is trans, non-binary, or gender fluid, or that they are gay or bisexual, if you found anything in these stories that resonated with you and helped you at any time in your life, sorry, (laughs) then that is between you and the book that you read. And that is sacred. And in my opinion, nobody can touch that. It means to you what it means to you. And I hope that these comments will not taint that too much. Um, (laughs) Sorry, it gets me every time because, you know, like, um, sorry, I didn't think I was going to get that upset about it. (laughs) But like, you know, I think it's just, um, it's a nice like recognition like Harry Potter you know for so many people was so important like that was like (laughs) a defining book of my childhood um no and I'm not um you know somebody who is trans or um 
you know, um, somebody who um, is, um, you know, a member of the LGBTQ plus community, but a lot of those things still rang true for me. And I like, I can only imagine how shitty it would feel um, if you were. And it's, you know, like, I think he's right, though, like a book is bigger than, um, you know, like, <laughs> than the person who wrote it. And um, I don't think that like, just because Jake Harrowling is a piece of shit, <laughs> you know, that doesn't like change the um you know the importance or like the meaning of the stories that she created um you know totally sorry <laughs> oh, i want to give you a big hug um and also like daniel radcliffe thank you like a big thank you to daniel radcliffe for major shout out to dan radcliffe yeah um no i think the other thing about the Harry Potter community, more so than probably any other work of fiction out there, Harry Potter was a catalyst um, in terms of how people viewed the world, but also in terms of creativity. Um, when it comes to the Harry Potter world, like we have Muggle Quidditch, there is Wizard Rock out there, there are how many fan fiction fics out there, there are books that were inspired by Harry Potter. Um, it, Yes, J.K. Rowling was the author. Um, J.K. Rowling gave us Harry Potter, but we took him. We took him and we created more. Um, so, like, I think, I think it's important to view. It's important to know everything that J.K. Rowling has been spouting, right? Because it also leads. We'll get into this later, but it does lead some interesting questions about some plot choices. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's important. It's important to be aware of. Um, but it also, you can do a little bit of the death of the author here, right? You can do a little bit where yeah. you take the work and you forget J.K. Rowling and you take, with, uh, take from it what you want and, you know, and you still love the things you love. You may decide that it's something that you just have to push put away completely. That's totally valid. You may decide that there's a way that you can still carve out a place for it within your heart that's separate from J.K. Rowling and, and the hate that she's been spewing. Um and there's actually, so there was a really good article that I'd encourage everyone to read called um, Harry Potter and the Author Who Failed Us by Aja Romano for, uh, for Vox. Um, they are gender fluid um, and they, they did a really good look at all of this, including a really interesting deep dive into Tonks that we might get into, we might not. But I think, I think they say it really well um, where um, they say, Joe can keep the money and Pottermore and Corman strike and definitely all of the fantastic beasts. She can keep the house elves who, uh, who really loved their enslavement and the anti-Semitic goblin stereotypes, Dolores Umbridge, Voldemort, the Dementors and Rita Skeeter. I'll take Harry and Hermione and Ron and Draco, Luna and Neville and Dumbledore's army. I'll take Hogwarts and pumpkin pasties and butterbeer and Weasley's wizarding wheezes and every other moment of magic and love the series has uh, given me and countless others. Trans and queer Harry Potter fans get to keep Tonks and Remus and Sirius Black and Charlie Weasley and Draco because I say so. Harry Potter is ours now and we make the rules. JK Rowling lost custody over her kids and now we can spoil them. Let them get tattoos, express themselves however they want, love whomever they want, transition if they want, practice as much radical empathy and anarchy as they want. Um, yeah, so I just, I think like, if that's the approach you choose to take, 
like you have that path. Like you can take Harry Potter and have it be the world that you want it to be. Yeah. Well, and I think, yeah. And I, like along with that, I saw, um, and you could do like further research if you wanted. Um, but I saw like a really good article that was like, how do you, um, still enjoy Harry Potter, like without giving any money to JK Rowling? <laughs> Ooh, good question. It was like a good, um, you know, it was like, buy the books used, get them at the library, um, you know, like enjoy the stuff that you already own, but don't buy anything more. Um, you know, like participate in these communities online, but like, don't visit, you know, like the like Pottermore website or like shit like that. Um, you know, so it was a good, um, you know, I, I think, you know, way to do what this person is suggesting that like, you don't, you know, you kind of <laughs> divorce yourself from, jk rowling um and her making any profit off of your enjoyment of harry potter and you kind of claim it for yourself Um, and in some ways that gives you more freedom and one of the really interesting parts of this article for me was the deep dive that they did into tonks as a character because they talk about how for them when they were reading tonks it was the first kind of gender fluid representation they potentially were seeing yeah tonks is very easy to like for tonks to be uh, like a non-binary coded character, right? Like Tonks goes by like her last name, which is like a little bit more like masculine sounding than Nymphadora. She's constantly changing her appearance. In When you meet her in, in, in uh, book five, like Tonks is Tonks, right? And Tonks, Tonks isn't afraid to be who whoever she wants to be whenever she wants to be it, to look however she wants to look whenever she wants to look at, and it doesn't have to necessarily be conventional. Um, And then uh, Aja Romano, the author of this piece, talks about how over the course of several books, Tonks becomes more traditionally cisgender Um, and like goes through like a mousy depressive uh, phase and ends up in a relationship with Remus Lupin um, which love who you want to love, but that was like the trappings of that, like traditional cisgender relationship complete with like a baby. And the fact that like, he called her Dora rather than like Tonks. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Like it just wasn't, it wasn't the Tonks that they had started reading. Um, and they asked the question of whether this was intentional for JK Rowling, if it was like actually like a story that JK Rowling was intentionally writing to have Tonks be like more of like a, you know, gender disruptor <laughs> for lack of a better term or gender nonconformer and have her then go through a process where she becomes more conventionally kind of like, you know, traditionally cisgendered female, um, which is interesting. Um, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but also talks about how like now they can take Tonks from book five, right? That's the Tonks that like lives in, in their heart. Not, not the Tonks who really only fucking dies so that there can be an orphan at the end of the book. So Harry can see a little tiny version of himself. Exactly. Um, yeah, terrible. Did you also want to talk about Moaning Myrtle? Yes, I really think it's important. (laughs) Here's the thing. We should probably just call it right. Because, like, we're firmly getting into the territory where I just rant. But I think we got to talk about the Chamber of Secrets because it's just insane. Just hit me with the Moaning Myrtle. So, like, Chamber of Secrets, guys. If you often, like, one of the most, like, you know, passed over books in the series, right? It's nobody's favorite. (laughs) 
Chamber of Secrets has a huge plot point that involves Ron and Harry going into the girls' bathroom to take polyjuice potion so they can literally transform their bodies to be and look differently and to take on a different identity. Yeah. So, but here's the thing. If you view the Chamber of Secrets through this knowledge of J.K. Rowling's transphobia, it's also just like such a what the fuck thing. Right. But it's also like, it's like sort of even more complicated than that because she's simultaneously like another part of that story is that Moaning Myrtle is a female ghost that haunts that bathroom and she died in that bathroom because the monster that lives in the chamber came out of the bathroom and killed her. So how does the woman who like is simultaneously writing a story about someone getting murdered in a bathroom, which is apparently one of her deepest fears, also just completely disregard the fact that she's going to allow two male characters to like hang out in a female bathroom because like according to her hugely problematic but apparently not in the context of the story like I makes zero sense later on um in uh what book is it like in book four um like isn't there a whole scene like where you find out that like moaning myrtle has been spying on cedric Diggory. Oh, in the bathroom. Yeah, in the bathtub. So, like, also, like, so, okay, so this, like, cishet girl is blatantly spying on a fucking man in the men's bathroom, and you don't give a shit about that? That's fine. (laughs) So fucking weird. In some, you could argue, like, in a way, we're, like, playing into her hand and playing into her game by even pretending that this is an issue about bathrooms. and like, what? Though, right because- no no totally when we're let's just be clear we're doing this to like just highlight the absurdity or just relieve our own stress about the situation but no but it's like it's stupid like it's like this is a woman like clearly because of all of these points we've just made like she's not actually i would argue she is not actually afraid of trans people in a bathroom doing anything to anybody. She is using that as an excuse to spew her hateful vitriol at the dog whistle. Nobody asked her what her opinion was. Nobody asked her to write an essay about it. Um, And it's just upsetting that somebody with the platform that she has would choose to use that for evil instead of for good particularly when you are the woman who literally taught a generation of people to fight against evil in the world and see the good in everybody (laughs) so like maybe she was Voldemort all along no totally and there's another element to this too right where like we can pick apart Harry Potter and we can read into things and be like what was going on mentally with J.K. Rowling there and I think it's actually worth asking like being aware of the flaws in a writer and like asking yourself that about a text, especially if it's a beloved text, right? Cause it will help inform your own worldview. But then also I haven't read her more recent books. The Rob, the ones that she writes is Rob, Robert Galbraith. Galbraith. Yeah. But in the, in one of them, she has apparently a trans character who's a villain and some like upsetting descriptions about that trans character And then in the most recent one, she has a killer who cross-dresses. So, like, well, we're with Harry Potter, we're, like, kind of grasping at straws. In her more recent literature, she is being blatantly... Explicitly transphobic. Yeah. J.K. Rowling, J.K. Rowling, J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling. Ugh. Anyway. (laughs) 
Yeah, so it's just a lot. But it's all just to say, I guess maybe the note to end that discussion on is to say that if you are trans and Harry Potter is important to you, we want you to know that here at Snark Notes, we think that you are valid. We think that you are important. Um, We think J.K. Rowling fucking sucks. (laughs) Um, And if we have not made that abundantly clear yet, and... Um, you know, we, uh, again, like you said, we understand if you want to throw out all of your Harry Potter books and you're over it. Um, but we also stand with you. Um, and we think that you're an important part of the Harry Potter community. Um, and we, uh, reclaim Harry Potter from fucking Joe Rowling because she's the worst. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And then, and then for everyone else, like we encourage you to be a trans ally to educate yourself to and a great first step is to watch disclosure and then disclosure also does a great job of highlighting some great content that like puts trans lives at the center um so seek that out um your life will be better for it yes definitely um do we want to end with our a snark or a note? Yeah, I think maybe notes since we like snarked so much. <laughs> okay. Also, I say that because if you really have something to snark for, uh, snark about, like absolutely go for it. But I only have things to note. <laughs> Alice, what are your things to note this week? Um. Okay. Can I have two? Well, what what are you gonna note? Because if we note the same thing, <laughs> then I only have to choose one. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I'll go first. Okay, so I would like to note for everybody, um, this was a recommendation that came to me through the My Favorite Murder podcast, so I just want to say that um, as a full disclosure, but um, I have to recommend that everybody watch Be Foreigners um, on HBO. It's like B-E-F-O-R, et cetera. Um, I'm going to miss Bill Foreigners. <laughs> like foreigners that come from before so it is a delightful like time travel um true crime comedy drama series um it's Norwegian so it is subtitled um but it uh, I went through the whole I think it's only like eight episodes I blazed through the whole thing it was my favorite um quarantine thing that I have watched I do have to say um and um, 10 out of 10 would recommend. Um, and then I um, I don't know if I have anything to snark about. I think we've, like you said, I think we've done enough snarking about. Um, like that list, I forgot the exact list of descriptors you used, but like true crime, time travel, blah, blah, blah. It was like all your favorite things. It really was all of my favorite things at once. There was comedy, there was true crime, there was time travel. It was all happening. I love it. I love it. Okay. I, I'm going to go quickly, but I have two things to note. One uh, one is um, The House in the Cerulean Sea by TJ Clue. Oh, fuck yes. 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 I, I forced Kelly to read it. Um, it is oh, it was so good. such a delightful book. And I think also if you are a Harry Potter fan, this is a great one to pick up too. Cause it like gets to a lot of like the themes of like love, um, 
being like the most important thing and acceptance of others um, magic. and magic. And it, there's also a great LGBTQ romance um, yes. that kind of feels like an, a great antidote to um, all the Dumbledore Grindelwald bullshit of like, you know, all the queer baiting that J.K. Rowling does. The House in the Cerulean Sea, um, it's just a breath of fresh air and it has like this beautiful cover and all these like little magical kids that are so adorable. Oh my God. Also, I have to highly recommend, I listen to it on audiobook and the voice that they do for Chauncey is fucking delightful. Oh my God, really? Chauncey was my favorite. Yeah. There's a character that's like, a, he's like, I don't know what, they don't really know what he is. He's like an amorph. He's like an alien, um, kind of like a gelatinous green Blob, but they his one big dream in life is that he really wants to be a bellhop and it's just like, <laughs> oh my god i love him so much he's like such a sweet child <laughs> oh delightful he is delightful i love it um yeah so that book's fucking great and just read it because it will make you feel better about the world <laughs> yeah and i think we need to feel better about the world so that's one of my things to note and then my other thing to note is just how excited i am that avatar the last airbender is becoming more culturally accepted and mainstream because i have loved it for years in secret <laughs> <laughs> like i literally i used to like only watch it when no one else was around because i knew my sister would make fun of me <laughs> and was great is her husband Zach actually watches it now and watching Rachel like roll her eyes and get annoyed as Zach and I talk Avatar The Last Airbender is just truly a gift for me right now. <laughs> I love it. Um, but also it's a great show and Legend of Korra is great as well. Um, check them both out. <laughs> I, yeah, I can't say that I've been a huge anime person as of yet, but... Yeah. Well, it's kind of an intersection. I was, I'm was i not a big anime person either. This is probably my only foray even close to anime. But I've read that supposedly Avatar is a great kind of amalgamation of like the best of anime and the best of American cartoons. Um, I can't speak to the validity of that statement, but it is a thing that I read. <laughs> All right. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note... <laughs> On that note, um, this has been Kelly and Alice yell about J.K. Rowling while also trying to respect trans people. <laughs> okay. Thank you guys for listening. Oh, um, my God. We love you all, even though we hate J.K. Rowling. <laughs> we, this, this message of love goes out to everyone but J.K. Rowling. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> we did it. 